It is that time now once again For getting lumped up with my friends It's rock a mic And Rob that you should know And you'll find them here on the rock show How you doing today? All right, man. How you doing? So we have another uh, spectacular show today. Oh yeah. This is um episode one thirty six of the Rock Show. Okay, we did we did one hundred and thirty six of these. It's amazing. Keeps on going. I know. And today we're talking about a band pretty well known, not known like all about the Lunatics. What can you tell me about these Lunatics? Yeah. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, and they were lunatics. <laughs> yes, they were. They were crazy. The Lunatics were a band that uh, started in the late 80s in New York City. And uh, they were five girls from uh, mostly Brooklyn and Manhattan. And uh, basically, you know, they took the scene by storm. Uh, I remember when they, when they started, a couple of the early shows uh, at CBs and stuff. And I was pretty much blown away. I thought that they were like so high energy and funny. The, the thing about them is they were funny. They, they like crazy makeup, crazy clothes. And as time went on, it even became crazier. They would do all kinds of, you know, theatrical antics on stage that were really fun. Uh, they kind of just took a lot of things. The fact that they were a chick band, you know, they, they kind of had a deal with, a lot of, uh, you know, male machoism in the business. And they kind of took all that and, and, and turned it on its head and everything. And uh, I think they were great. I think they're one of the best bands out of New York City in the last You know they're years. playing Webster Hall, right? Yeah, well, that was a gig. Uh, I think they have two shows. Uh, it that was, was last th- year in um, April. Uh, it was it an got, April show that guess November yeah. 26th and 20, 26th and 27th at Webster Hall. Right, right, right actually back uh they never really broke up they went on a long hiatus almost almost 20 years uh they had done a lot of things separately uh theo the lead singer had a band for a while i believe squid the bass player she had a band for a while gina had a band for a while you know they just went on and just kind of took a hiatus all stayed friends and they're back now and um coincidentally too i mean i I picked a good time to because they have a new book out uh, just came out I think in the last month or two uh, called Fallopian Rhapsody All right, the story of the Lunar Chicks <laughs> and that's the name of one of their songs but that's the kind of humor they had okay like Bohemian Rhapsody the, and just joke about that I mean they, the, their covers of songs were hilarious too I mean uh, the way that they cover More Than a Feeling by Boston I mean that's yeah. just some funny shit this is called uh, Fallopian Rhapsody, the story of the Lunatics, and it was written with them and also Gene Fury. Um, for Lunatics fans, uh, if you're listening, um, I think by the time this show will be up, it may be over. Uh, but Theo, uh, Theo Kogan, the, the singer, I think on her Instagram page, she's she's doing some kind of podcast stuff as well. So check out the Lunar Chicks on Instagram. 
uh, and their individual pages as well. Uh, definitely check that out. But all right, so let's let's get into it. Oh, I gotta mention one thing. Little little lumped upness. Okay, um, I got last night. Me too. I went to the Yankee game. Yeah, I heard you did. And uh, I, I tried a vodka. You know, I'm big on vodka. I tried a vodka last night that I never tried. You ever hear vodka? No. <laughs> okay. Any good? Well, let's put it this way. It's 151 proof. Holy moly. Okay. Now, I was looking to save a few bucks last night because uh, we are having a little party for my birthday today here at, uh, at International. Uh, but I was looking to save a few bucks last night. So I bought, I usually, I, I usually, I, I love Tito's. And I saw this other bottle, Devil Springs, and it was like $5 cheaper than Tito's. And it was 151 proof. But I, oh, dude, man, I drank like two drinks last night and I was shit faced. It was like, <laughs> it, it was, it was hilarious. Okay. So definitely check out Devil Springs if you're a vodka person. I should, it would be a problem because it was right to the end of clear. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's talk about the Luna Chicks. Um, they're a New York City punk rock band. Really can't yep. call them anything else. Uh, they were formed in 1987 when singer Theo, uh, guitarist Gina Volpe, and bassist Sidney Silva, also known as Squid, were students at LaGuardia High School of Music and Art and Performing Arts. When they wanted to start a band, these girls all were friends and, and they had a lot in common. So Theo and Squid were actually from Brooklyn. Gina was from upstate, but she originally, but she was living down in Chelsea with her family. Um, they met guitarist Cindy Benez- Benezra, okay, who was an acquaintance of Squids, and I believe she was originally from the Park Slope, Brooklyn area. Second uh, guitarist. Um, they were all punk rock kids in New York City in the 80s. Basically, the city was dangerous then. You know the story. Um, Especially the East Village and the Lower East Side, where as teenagers, they hung out. Uh, Tompkins Square Park was a big hangout place, still is, for the punks at the time. Uh, Washington Square Park on the West Side was another spot. Uh, People drank publicly, you know, in the park, okay? Uh, It was a crazy time. Um, Anything could happen. And uh, it could be dangerous for young girls, too, okay? But these five girls were, well, four at the time, okay? Because the fifth would be, we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, But at the time, these four girls were friends and uh, taking shit from many guys. And, you know, they hung out with the the best of them in the park and all that. Yeah, they definitely did. Yeah, now, uh, who would be their influences? Well... Let me just rattle off some pretty cool names. The Ramones, the Misfits, the Bad Brains, the Buzzcocks, uh, even stuff like Judas Priest, Steppenwolf, the Runaways, okay, uh, Kiss, okay, was a major influence on them, all right, and they they really wanted to kind of write songs, like Kiss wrote songs, okay, and Cindy, uh, who was actually about four years older than the other girl, a hardcore influence to the band, all right. She had been old enough to see bands like Kennedy, uh, the Bad Brains live, uh, and a lot of other, like you know, early hardcore bands in the early 80s. 
1987 and stuff like that, she was on the scene because she was a couple of years older than these other girls. Um, that doesn't mean these other girls didn't see anything because in those days, all you needed was a fake ID, especially girls, because they could be 14, they could look 21 and get in, you know? So by the time they started the band, there was also at the time a uh, psychedelic garage revival going on. All right, band. The Sheiks, the Man Eaters, uh, popular. Uh, the Cramps and the Ramones of the the first generation punk rockers were still around, and it was a good mix at that time in the in the mid to late eighties. I remember it well. Uh, you had kind of like bands like the Ramones that were playing the bigger clubs, but then you know you'd catch, in, you know, like of this rock re- revival, like the Optic Nerve was was a great band. Okay, and they all looked like uh, guys. They all wore haircuts and and glasses and and pointed boots like the Beatles and stuff. Kind of like uh, this punk and and sixties thing going on at the same time. And the Lunatics were really <laughs> they, they didn't even fit in any of that. Okay, because they were just their own. Their they own. were at least their own. On their own. So for a year, when they got the band together. Uh, Theo was was going out with a guy named Mike, and he would fill in on drums. They they didn't have a a set drummer for a while. It would take until basically they recorded their first record to really get a a solid drummer in there all the time, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. But did for that year before they even played their first show was they cultivated their sound and their look. Okay, uh, both they just. Decided- be unique to stand out they wanted to have a kind of no nonsense balls to the wall sound um they didn't want to be girly okay and they were not all right uh punk hardcore you know punk influences were obvious um Mm -hmm. but but they you know as time went on with them they actually became pretty good musicians uh, and it was it was not just uh, an accident. They 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 put in the uh, they put in the work. They practiced a lot, um, and it would bring different layers to their sound. And it would be just more than a punk band. Okay, they were really like a, you know, like just a good rock and roll band. Yeah, so good right now now they they you know, and and the fact that they were girls didn't stop them. They they wanted to rock harder than any of the. Uh, their look was going to be different. They, they they scoured the city for cheap secondhand clothes that they would you know redesign into these crazy outfits. Uh, they would wear tutus on stage and uh, you know striped knee socks like that. And and nobody was really looking like that. They wore funny wigs. You know what's wigs. funny in New York City back in the day you could do that. They had so many uh, vintage store back in the day that you could buy very stuff. Yeah, there was a place, uh, and it is mentioned in in the Fallopian Rhapsody book. I, I did I did read the book, and I, a lot of the info is straight out of that book. So definitely check it out. There was a place in 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 Brooklyn, right under the Williamsburg Bridge, called Domsey's, and I used to go there. It was a it was Domsey's outlet. It was a just all, if I remember right, it was at least three floors of of all used clothes, and I used to buy jeans there you know, for like $3. Okay. <laughs> I was, I was living there in that area um, around 92. Okay. 92 to 94. Uh, right before Williamsburg got real hip. 
<clears throat> and we used to go down to Dom C's and, and shop. And I mean, you can get new stuff too, but it was mostly all bins of, of, you know, used clothes. And, you know, if you're into putting a look together for yourself as a band, you know, that was the place to get everything. It was cheap, you know? Now, <clears throat> um, originally Gina Volpe came up with the name. Okay. Uh, it was going to be called the raving lunatics. And uh, it was something she had written in her high school yearbook, but they quickly dropped the raving part of the name and just became that stuck, you know, it was a perfect name. So in case you're wondering about who was, like I said, it was, it was Theo's boyfriend, Mike in the beginning, Uh, their first show was supposed to be at Gleason's gym in Brooklyn. (laughs) But it got moved to a space at Broadway and Houston street. Uh, they played the gig with a band called Smoking Gas Truck, The Freaks, and one of my favorite bands at the time was Raging Slab. Okay, they were a very cool <laughs> band. Okay, now the early tracks that they had, like Jan Brady and Glad I'm Not You, Babysitters on Acid, th- those went over very well at these early shows. Okay, uh, they quickly became kind of notorious as a, as a band that you got to check out. Okay, yeah. So uh, the girls were original, hard rocking, and but they were funny. Wrote a lot of lyrics. She was a force to be reckoned with on stage. Okay. Uh, you know, one thing that, and I mentioned it earlier, they, you know, they had to put up with a lot of shit being a girl band. Okay. Guys yelling obnoxious stuff at them, you know, show us your tits and stuff like that. Okay. And, you know, they had to put up with a lot of that. And they just, you know, she'd have no problem slamming a microphone at you, okay? Or, or coming off the that she didn't like, okay? So, you know, they, they also, while all that was happening, you know, whatever, whatever uh, you know, antics on stage, the lyrics would crack you up, all right? she would. They were singing about, like, Jan Brady from the Brady Bunch, you know what I mean? That's fucking funny, okay? And after several well-received shows at CBGB's and after one particular gig uh, when they opened for Sonic Youth, the Lunatics got the attention of Sonic Youth, particularly Kim Gordon and Thurston Moore. Yep. Um, and at the time, the two of them were like, you know, the hip couple of the underground in New York City, which we talked about in other shows in the past. Um, the two were so impressed with the Lunatics that they sent a demo of the band to Paul Smith in the UK, who had a record label called Blast First. Uh, that label in the UK was releasing music from Sonic Youth, Dinosaur Jr., Big Black, uh, the Butthole Surfers, a few other bands. <clears throat> when Paul Smith offered uh, them a contract, they immediately signed up. Uh, Paul Smith then took the band to Manny's Music on 48th Street in the city. And I bought, bought uh, you could buy um guitars and stuff there. Yeah, yeah, it was a guitar shop. They had all of the inter- instruments too, but it was mostly known for guitars. Yeah. Um, Paul Smith bought them all new guitars and amps. All right. Uh, a guy named Wharton Tears was used them. Kim Gordon and Thurston Moore would kind of oversee the project, and Kim at the time she wanted to work with female bands, especially ones in the punk genre. 
she wanted to kind of use her clout as a as an underground star to push more women particularly into music and 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 to promote more female bands that's what she was looking to do so the recordings well okay uh kim and thurston were kind of girls kind of talked around them uh didn't treat them exactly you know with any warmth or or anything uh according to the book uh, they really didn't even have any conversations with them it was it was just like they were there they were overseeing sometimes uh you know sound the band didn't agree on what the they they were trying to do um one time uh uh, I think it was Gina. Okay. Uh, let me see. Yeah. Uh, there was a guitar pedal that uh, broke. Okay. And uh, it was guitar, actually. Her guitar, her guitar pedal, pedal broke. And uh, it made a sound that sounded like a lawnmower. <laughs> and she was like, oh, fuck, I got to fix that. You know, and, and Kim Gordon was like, no, keep it. It sounds great. No, that that I don't want it to sound like that. Okay, so you know, because Sonic Youth was into making all these like noises with guitars, yeah, and stuff, yeah. you know, and that's not what the Luna Chicks were about. They they wanted to rock hard. They weren't interested in really being very experimental in the studio or none of that stuff. So uh, basically, it all had come to a head that day, and and Kim Gordon said something like, "Well, you know." I'm not their babysitters. So they left the project. Okay. But Paul Smith had the band. Okay. He had, he had signed them to record. And uh, no love was lost by the Luna Chicks for sure. They didn't, they didn't give a shit really. But they continued on making the album. Uh, Paul Smith had sunk some money into the band. All right. And he really wanted to kind of get something out of it. So uh, baby, that would be the album Babysitters on Acid. Okay. And however, it, it actually didn't come out until 1990. It took like, like almost two years for it to come out. Okay, and it would only come out in the UK at first for many yeah, years. Yeah, what, what, why did it take so long? What, what was it about it? That I don't know. Long? I think the you know there there had to be some some issues uh, with less first. Um, I'm not really sure. Okay, why it took over a year to come out, uh, and and then it was only as an import. Okay, so you had a New York band, you couldn't find the album. All right, you had to buy it as an import. All right, so they ended up uh, going to the UK because they were they were getting a little bit of a buzz over there, and uh, they went out to the UK with Dinosaur Junior. Um, with little time to spare, basically, and no record out, they decided to sign with J. Okay, which was called Rush Artist Management. Uh, they basically were signing up metal bands from New York City, and they wanted to have something out by the time they went on tour in the UK, because even Babysitters on Acid wasn't out yet. But there was a bit of a buzz about this band from New York. So they ended up recording what was called the Sugar Love EP. It was just four songs in advance of the UK tour that they did. Uh, something that they really wanted to have something for the critics and the press to talk about, okay, before they went out on tour. So Paul Smith 
dropping a bomb on them, okay, during the recording of Babysitters on Acid, said that they must get a permanent drummer if they're going to come out and do the tour, okay? Uh, they were using Mike, Theo's boyfriend, and, and some other people occasionally at live shows would, would just fill in, all right? Uh, the person that they ended up getting would be Becky Reck, okay? And I love Becky Reck. And then she, she, was, she was a great drummer. Uh, you don't hear much from her these days. Uh, she had a pretty hard life. But uh, they met through connections, um, you know, different connections they, along the way. They had heard about a drummer from Philadelphia, okay, Becky Reck, that was just kick-ass, okay? They heard she was a great drummer. She was a little bit older than them. She even had lived in Europe, Okay, she was living in Brussels for a while, uh, played in some goth bands, some hardcore bands. Usually she was the only chick in the band, okay, stuff that she was involved in. Uh, but she had been playing drums since she's eight years old. All right. And what she learned with was bands like Rush and Yes, okay, in the 70s. She'd play along with those records as a kid. Um, they got in touch with her and she came down to audition. And it turned out that, that, that Becky was actually a hot commodity at the time because L7, the Los Angeles based band was interested in her too. Wow. Okay. Um, but Becky, after, you know, having a great audition, uh, the Luna chicks asked her to join and, and she thought that they were smart, funny. She liked that they were, uh, vegetarians okay she liked that they were uh they controlled their drug and alcohol intake they were they were trying to be professional you know but they they kind of drew the line when it came to heroin all right and uh she wanted some of that to rub off her because unbeknownst to the lunatics at the time was that becky had a heroin habit wow and, you know, Becky would choose the Luna Chicks, okay, and uh, tell L7 thanks, but no thanks. So she was a member in the band. Um, the band had recorded the Sugar Love EP with drum tracks recorded by Theo's boyfriend, Mike. Okay, but Becky would redo them quickly in the studio. Uh, she was more advanced in the studio than, than the girls, the other girls. And uh, she redid these drums very quickly, very professionally. And also the cover art to the EP had to be redone to show her in the band. And uh, they basically, you know, did a, like a cut and paste kind of thing and stuck her face in there on, on the cover of the record. So, what, what can you talk about Becky's um, appearance on the lesbian dating show? Oh, shit. Well, we're going to get into that in a minute. All right. <laughs> we're definitely going to get into that because that, that was some... Uh, little bit of infamy she got involved with early in the band just when she joined now the one thing other than becky's great it's like was that she was out about her sexuality becky was a self-proclaimed bull dyke okay she you know the the girls being a few years younger uh, you know, they knew about lesbians, okay, but they never really dealt with them, okay. They they were they were straight, well, at least as far as they knew, and uh, 
you know, she she came in, she wore leather, she wore bandanas, uh, she rode a motorcycle, okay? and the girls were just totally in love with her in that way. But shortly after joining the band, Becky got this unexpected fame, and you just brought it up, okay? Um, she was home one night drinking wine, and she was watching the, the Howard Stern show on Channel 9. Remember the show? Yeah, I remember the show. Okay. Announced that he was starting a new skit called The Lesbian Dating Game that he wanted to do. And he said, if there's any women out there that are lesbians that want to come on this game show, they should call this number. So Becky was lumped up drinking wine and she decided to call. Okay. And she, you know, she said something like, I'm Becky Rack. I play in a band called the Lunar Chicks out of New York City and I'm the coolest dyke in town. <laughs> wow. Okay. So she didn't think much of it. She kind of like forgot about it practically. Howard Stern's people called her, all right, and said that they were very impressed with the message she and would you know want to be on the lesbian dating game. So she said, okay. Now, you know, quickly she realized the experience about being on that would not be exactly great. She figured she'd give Howard Stern a lunatic shirt and maybe he'd wear it. Okay, he never did. Okay, but he did mention the band a lot whenever she was on. But he did it in a way that was like almost like making fun of the name. All right. Uh, yeah, he was he was like yeah, he was dick about it. Okay. Yeah. Most of the women too. And I went back and I like watched some of this shit on YouTube. It's funny. Okay. I um, you know, they were they weren't really gay. Some of them were bisexual or they were faking being gay just to meet Howard Stern. All right. You know, Becky said the lesbians that she knew. Um, however, at that time in history, when it was not exactly cool to be gay, she was bringing a lot of good attention to the band. Okay, Becky, I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, when they toured, uh, a lot of people recognized her from the, the lesbian dating game. Um, and they would be in places and, and people that, you know, jocks and you know regular square people you know that you wouldn't think would come up to a band well we're going up to her and saying oh we love you you're great you know now um the band you know the girls didn't really have a problem with that too much okay but you know it was kind of a, a unique dynamic at the time that the drummer was was bringing in all this attention so um becky's professionalism and experience made the band better and tighter musically. Okay, it was something that they, they needed, all right? Uh, they were a little sloppy in the beginning, okay? And I think she, she tightened the band up a lot. Um, touring was going well with the Lunar Chicks. Um, by 1991, especially a tour with New York City legends, the Dictators was very good, all right? They toured the country with them. Yeah, Mike, amazing. It seemed like they were pretty good off the bat, like especially touring and going. They did a lot of, did a lot of live shows. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, you know, they had recorded uh, an EP that was available in the state, was an import, and not even out yet. Okay, uh, they weren't making money from selling records, so they had to tour. All right, and they did, and 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 they busted their asses. And this was still back in the day. When, you know, 
bands didn't have a lot of, you know, amenities. Okay. There was no internet back then. Okay. Oh. And, and you played and you, you, you stayed in some of the places you can imagine. Okay. But an interesting thing would happen. Okay. Because early on a romance would blossom between Becky and bass player squid. Mm. Okay. Now, the band from Lynn describes it in the book as, you know, she didn't even realize she was gay or anything. And then she realized she just had feelings for Becky and it just happened. Okay. So the band at the time was well aware about Becky's heroin habit. All right. Now the Luna chicks did, did some drugs, but heroin was a big no, no. But they they kind of let it happen with her because they they did need her a lot to the band, okay. And they cared about her, but you know it it just seemed like Becky had had it under control. It wasn't at- so they were able to just kind of let it slide. All right. Now when the romance blossomed between Becky and Squid, however, dealing heroin too. Okay, and this would kind of be like a ticking time bomb for the band. But by 1992 or so, a new album would be the order of the day. All right. And the Lunatics manager at that time was Jane Friedman. Uh, She used to be Patti Smith's former manager. Okay, Uh, she had experience, but really time couldn't land them a record deal. They settled on a last minute quick deal with a label called Safe House. Now, Safe House set them up at SST Studios in Weehawk in New Jersey to record, uh, and they were ready. Uh, they had written the album uh, that would become the album Binge and Purge, all right? And they were much more professional, and they understood the way studios worked by that time because they had been involved with the, the first album and then the EP. Um, they also were tired of working day jobs in between touring, since they didn't make enough from the band to really live. Uh, Squid often waitressed. Uh, Theo did waitressing. She also... Gina did a lot of odd jobs. Gina was, uh, you know, made a lot of designs in the clothes and stuff like that. Now, the band members were practicing hard. Uh, one thing that Squid used to do to practice bass was she would listen to the Ramones' It's Alive album and just play along with it. And if you know that album, it's basically the first three Ramones albums played live by the band super fast. Okay, so she was practicing, getting better at her bass chops. Uh, Theo took singing lessons to help her voice stay strong. Um, And, you know, you would think with a punk band that they wouldn't care about that, but you'd be surprised. A lot of people end up taking voice lessons at some point because you blow your voice out screaming every night. So you have to learn how to do that in a way that you don't blow your voice out. So the songwriting on Binge and Purge was very collaborative. Nine out of the 12 tracks are credited to the whole band. Okay. And then a couple are credited uh, um, individually. Now, uh, Mason Temple produced the record. And it came out sounding a lot better than Babysitters on Acid, which is kind of accused of sounding muddy. Uh, and it does. It, it, I think the vocals are like a little too low on Babysitters on Acid. 
Um, apathetic on the, on this album, Binge and Purge is like my personal favorite song. Uh, however, when they were in the studio, things did not really go well all the time. Uh, it started to become apparent that Becky's heroin habit was spiraling out of control. She was often out of it when she, you know, when she was high, she couldn't play. All right. And when she wasn't high, she was moody. All right. So, you know, there were times she was useless, basically. Uh, it was starting to crumble. For yeah. Now, also to the band's dismay, high too during the recordings. So you got two people in the band that are involved with each other. So it's it's a lot to deal with. In 1992, they did their first headlining tour of Europe. Uh, they was the you know Reddit. every band had their ace and, and Pete. Yeah. Yeah, you got your ace and Peter. Yep, you know, and and I'm, I'm sure they 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 made the comparisons. They would be, it's yeah. tough. Yeah, you know, I've seen this happen a million bands. You know, somebody just goes off the rails. You don't want to throw them out of the band. You friends, okay, but things happen. You know, and it yeah. it always comes down to what's the best for the band. So we'll get back to that part of the story in a little bit. But um, in 1992, they did their first of Europe and it was at the Reading Festival in the UK in August uh, the Lunatics played with acts like Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, PJ yeah. Harvey Smashing Pumpkins Rage Against the Machine, Public Image Limited and even Nirvana was on that bill also toured the rest of Europe in a small van okay, which was, uh, was held the van used to break down okay. the tour was done cheaply getting connections for free places to sleep or if they could splurge for a whole all slept in one room. All right. This was, you know, often a test of their, their friendships, their will, their health. Okay. Uh, it was not easy. It's never easy touring Europe. Bands always say that. Okay. Yeah. Small bands always say that. Uh, one experience that the Lunatics and other female bands experienced, even in the early 90s, a disinterest for clubs to book too many female groups. Okay. Often they would look to play a club on a tour because, you know, it was on the way from where they were going. It was, it was closer. Okay. But they wouldn't be able to play because that club booked a female group like the week earlier. All right. And they just, you know, it, it was almost like a discrimination against female bands, but, there was an attitude that, you know, and this tended to happen more in Europe, though it did happen in America sometimes. But, you know, they were from New York City. They weren't used to that. All right. City, you know, no one cares if it's a female band, a male band. If they want to book you, they'll book you. If they got three other female bands on a gig, it doesn't matter. Uh, Europe. It did. Okay. And there was, there was this idea that, like, female bands – don't really draw, don't really make money, you know, so you don't want to have too many in a row. Okay, that was the attitude, all right, and kind of fucked up. So this created a lot of stress in the band, okay, because it would take them, you know, they'd have to go somewhere else to play on the tour, and it would be often longer times on the road, and, you know, remember, you also got two people that are dealing with drugs in the band as well. So by 93, it became obvious that Becky couldn't continue in the Lunatics. Um, her and Squid broke up, 
Okay, but it was the heroine that basically sabotaged her talent. Uh, a final show on a Halloween night when the band saw her play. Uh, she just was, was too slow. Okay. They ended up pulling the plug. All right. And Becky was out. Now, Theo, Gina, Cindy, and Squid were now looking for a new drummer. Uh, yeah. when, when, when Becky left, there were a few shows still booked that they had to do. Uh, the band Luscious Jackson had a drummer named Kate Schellenbach, and she joined up with the Lunar Chicks briefly to kind of fill in for some of these uh, these gigs that were that were that were already planned. But yeah, it was just going to be temporary. What's that? She also played with the boys. She did. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Okay, I forgot to mention that. Uh, they also had a European and a Japanese tour in the works. <laughs> Yeah, which we'll we'll talk about. Now, now at this time, they they needed a drummer. And in will step drummer Chip English, okay? She was another openly gay, accomplished drummer who could play anything from punk rock to polka music on drums. She was was a really good drummer. She played in the band called the Tomboys uh, that the Lunar Chicks liked. She was originally... Uh, excuse me, she was originally from Kingston, PA, and actually had auditioned earlier for the Luna Chicks and had left the audition, even though it went well, saying that she had changed her mind and wasn't interested, okay? But they kept her in mind. Um, and in, in an interesting twist of fate, when the Luna Chicks needed a drummer again, they asked Chip, and she said yes this time. So she... Band called One Nine Hundred Box, and she left them to join the Luna Chicks, and she quickly dove into a European tour. Now, earlier, right after the release of Binge and Purge, the band was approached by a Japanese couple named uh, Shisaka and Hiroshi, and they said they wanted to take them to Japan and act as their promoters on a Japanese tour and bring. Them- now, in nineteen ninety three. With new drummer Chip, now fully in the Luna Chicks, okay? Uh, they flew to Japan for the first time, and they had a ball. They loved it, all right? They were treated like the Beatles, all right? And they loved the culture, okay? Um, they had several shows to play, but to the band's surprise, two days were set aside to record. Uh, Shizaka had arranged studio time to record what would be the Sushi a la Mode EP. Uh, they were able to put down some tracks for that. Uh, I believe it was only available in Japan at the time. Uh, the track on this EP that would be most famous is, is their version of Boston's More Than a Feeling, uh, which is fucking hilarious because he yeah. sings the guitar solo instead of like the guitar doing it. She just goes like, now, 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 like that. And it's just, it's just funny. Okay. And uh, she. Uh, That's the standout track on that EP. There's only a couple of songs on there. Uh, despite the successful tours of Europe and especially Japan and the new drum, still all electric land. All right. Theo the singer was suffering from severe depression unbeknownst to the band. In fact, she didn't feel this until 
just came out, the Fallopian Rhapsody book, about two years ago. Um, Theo had always suffered from acne when, uh, you know, as a, as a kid and, and a teenager. But when they started wearing a lot of this makeup and stuff, especially they were wearing like drag queen makeup. That's really what they were. Yeah. Uh, they just um, it this- exasperated the, the, the she had and that depressed her. Okay. And combined with a, a grueling schedule with little to no accommodations while on a lot of tours, most of that depressed her more. Okay. okay. You know, it's got to be like, so grueling you know um and of course the band problems didn't help her either now she ended up putting herself in therapy at the time the band didn't know uh she was only 23 at the time going through this wow yeah now squid on the other hand with becky gone was left with a bad and getting worse heroin habit and, you know, the tour schedule in 93 between Europe and Japan was very hard for her because she was dope sick. All right. You know, you can't you can't get heroin in, in Japan. It's very hard no. to find. OK, so if you have that monkey on your back and, you you know, you're basically withdrawing the whole time you're on fucking tour over there. All right. So it's tough. Now, when the band got back from Japan. Uh, Squid had been clean basically for almost two months because, you know, they went from the European tour right to the Japanese tour. And uh, unfortunately, instead of taking advantage of that, she went back to her junkie life. Okay. Uh, She was involved with a guy um, in the book. She just calls him X. Okay. Doesn't, she doesn't name him. Uh, But uh, she you know, dope and, and would sell all of her belongings, um, including rare lunatic singles. Uh, he would steal shit from her and sell it. Okay. Uh, soon Squid got into shooting cocaine and regularly doing shit like speedballs. Okay. Which is a, a, a mix of coke and heroin. Uh, things. Yeah, bad shit. Now, things would be spiraling for her, and the girls all tried to help her, but unfortunately, it would take a little bit more time. All right. Now, the music scene around 94 was, uh, though it was kind of changing in the Luna Chick's favor, against their wishes, the critics were kind of lumped into this riot girl category, uh, yeah. the, the riot girl scene. Bands like L7, they were considered riot girls just didn't feel that they were really in that category um but being all female and in the punk rock kind of mold reaction that was set off when when berkeley california label lookout records re-released their earlier material uh they were getting a lot more west coast fans because of this um bands like green day and rancid were breaking or were about to break uh like you know, uh, they're on a label that's based out of California. So in 95, with Greg Ross, who had just started Go-Kart Records, Greg signed them to record what would become the classic album, Jerk of All Trades. Okay. And originally, they were going to call it I'm With Stupid. <laughs> but... <laughs> What happened was singer Amy Mann, remember her from Till Tuesday? Okay. Yeah. She was coming out with an album of the same name, I'm With Stupid. So the girls then wanted to call it I'm With 
but they ended up settling on jerk of all trades. All right. Jerk of all, jerk of all trades. Now, it was produced by a guy named uh, Jerk of All Trades, to me, is their best sounding album. That's just my opinion. Uh, it's the best produced. Uh, they really kind of found their sound with this record. Chip English's drumming is, is kick-ass. And uh, Gina, Cindy, and Squid shine, basically, on this album. Very bright. Um, tracks like Drop Dead, Fingerful, FDS, which kind of should uh, stood for feminine deodorant spray, but also should stood for a uh, shit finger dick, but in like a different, in a different, uh, <laughs> in a different uh, order instead of, you know, SDF, FDF, FDS. Uh, they had a song called butt plug. Okay. A song called deal with it. There was a title track jerk of all trades, uh, fallopian rhapsody. Uh, they were all just amazing songs. 16 of them. Over 52 minutes. All right. So you got what you paid for with this album. Now, yeah, it's a good album. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 to me, it, you know, it was, it was a lunatic fan's wet dream. All right. Yeah. That album. Now, the European market had always. My, that, yeah. That was very well polished. Like it was very cleaned up than the other two albums. Like it was very smooth, very polished. Like <clears throat> yeah, but 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 not in a not in a way that 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 they lost their sound. I think they no, that they I think their the sound, sound. Yeah, it was a better quality recording. I don't know. Like you hear those those first two albums, they sound like old and. Yeah. But then this one sounded like new and like very. Yeah, very, it was it was. Yeah, that recorded than the other two. That's for sure. So, yeah. that worked in their favor song so yeah you know it um you know the european market still at the time had always supported them and they kind of but when jerk of all trades came out in may of 95 it really connected with the west coast punk fans which they had kind of been making inroads with them for a year or two anyway um the stars aligned a little bit for them again and they ended up uh, getting West Coast booking agent Stormy Shepard as their manager, which got them on board with a lot of like uh, shows with bands like Offspring. Okay, bands like that. Now, through 95 and 96, they, they often tour. Uh, one of the weirder tours, though, that they did around this time was they actually opened for Marilyn Manson on the yeah. Smells Like Children tour. And I, I remember this. I remember this tour. I didn't see them on this tour, but I, I do remember them going out with Manson. But the band was worried with this tour that Manson fans would kind of hate them, all right? Because, you know, they were, okay, and the Lunar Chicks were more like, you know, they wore bright clothes and crazy outfits and stuff, and they played faster, upbeat music. They never really connected with the Manson fans, but the tour went well. Okay. Yeah. And they got along great with Marilyn Manson and his band. Um, New York City at the time still loved the Lunatics. All right. They were a big draw when they would play. Uh, Irving Plaza, you know, other places they were able to play. Um, they, they, they loved the band, but what was happening was California ended up kind of being a focus now on the punk scene. All right. Um, New York City, there was something of a new scene starting out. 
Uh, it was called Squeeze Box. Okay, now I don't know if you remember the shows. They were all based around what was going on at Don Hills. These yeah. Squeeze- okay, now um, the Squeeze Box shows were kind of like a gender bending uh, rock and roll show. There was Drag Queens. Uh, Jane County was the DJ. Uh, bands like the Toilet Boys, you know, cut their teeth. Uh, the Toilet Boys was one of the best bands out of New York that I ever saw. Uh, they they uh, they were basically the singer was a was a, a guy named Miss Guy. Okay, looked like a chick, you know, but very cool. Uh, great hard rock band. Now, um, actually, now it, it, Theo in Theo Kogan in, in the Lunatics Chicks is married to one of the guys in the Toilet Boys, Sean. Okay. So, you know, them playing together was, was a part of the New York scene at the time. And I went to a few of these things. It was very cool. Uh, also, Degeneration was, was big at the time as well. Okay. Yep. Uh, now, soon it was time to make a new record. And it was decided they would go with Fat Mike from NoFX. Okay. Member of, of NoFX. Uh, he would produce the album. They liked the sound of NoFX's album Punk in Drublick. Okay, Punk in Drublick, which was engineered by Ryan Green. And they wanted to record this new record, uh, which was going to be called Pretty Ugly, to sound like that album. They liked the sound of it. With Mike, San Francisco. Okay, because that's where he recorded. So the album, this album to me is a bit of a mixed bag. It's, it's a solid record, but it has that California, no fx punk sound uh which i don't like as much but fat mike you know he changed their sound a bit but not too much okay so it's still a good record plus you have a little bit but not a lot yeah yeah he tweaked them yeah kind of into that he had a way of recording um in the book they they kind of like were were shocked when they went into the studio with him discussed how album would be recorded and and you know they that they loved the they wanted to sound like the buzzcocks but mike surprised him and said i fucking hate <laughs> so yeah took that like oh shit you know you, that's like you know the beatles suck now um these this album like i said would be a little bit different okay but it still had the funny lyrics would write tracks like Mr. Lady uh, and Don't and Don't Want You. Like Don't Want You, which is probably their most well-known song because they got a video for it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, after the release of this album, Pretty Ugly, guitarist Sid would announce that she was leaving the band. Uh, she'd been unhappy with the direction of the band and the tough touring schedule, and basically had enough. Um, they would decide not to replace her. And just go on as a four-piece at that point. Uh, February 21st, 1998, Coney Island High on St. Mark's Place. Yes. Uh, the Luna Chicks would record their first and only live record called Drop Dead Live. Yeah. Uh, it would be released on Go-Kart Records in August of that year. Now, also, uh, shortly after Cindy had left, there was an intervention put on Squid. Okay. Uh, for her drug use. The band and Squid's family and friends 
all confronted her about it. Okay. Uh, it ended up waking her up and she ended up going into rehab to clean up. Okay. So she was going to straighten her life out and she realized the band was the most important thing to her. She didn't want to lose it. So she straightened herself out. Now, as the live album was released, the Lunar Chicks appeared to the trauma films flick Terra Firmer. Uh, Lemmy from Motorhead is also in that movie. Uh, by the end of the year, they, they began recording what would be their last studio album called. Um, you know, this album was recorded in Brooklyn at Excello Studios. Yeah. Chris Maxwell and Phil Hernandez. Uh, it's a strong record uh returned to kind of you know got away from that no fx sound okay um went back to what they were doing before um they but made it, it go ahead sorry album, it was the, the writing was on the wall a little bit a little bit yeah it was basically they, they you know i don't know if they went into the recording saying it's our last record i i don't think so but i just think that you know with since and th they were all kind of interested in doing other things. Now, this record, um, you know, it's 15 tracks, 41 minutes. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot of fun to the opening track called Less Teeth and More Tits. <laughs> okay. And, you know, the last track is cool, too, Down at the Pub. All right. And that was a, a tribute to their U UK fans. Uh, it's just a good record. All right. And I like the uh the cover design the cover the album cover it kind of looks like a plasmatics record which i you know in the in the the font of the lettering of the lunar chicks it was almost the way the plasmatics used to write their name yeah i always thought that was cool now on the japanese release of this album there's a and doing blondie's heart of glass but that's only on the japanese release in 99 they joined the warp tour okay with bands like Biff Naked, The Donners, Blink-182. Uh, and then they would do another Warp Tour again in 2000. Um, later in 19... English left the band and would be replaced by 18-year-old drummer Helen Destroy. Now, after the Warp Tour in 2000, the band decided to go their separate ways, basically. Uh, they never really, like I said earlier, they never officially broke up. But instead, they called it a hiatus. Gina and Squid went on to other side projects. Um, in 2020, just last year, it was announced that a documentary on the band was planned and a book, Fallopian Rhapsody. That's a fantastic book. Uh, about the group. And that came out in early 2021 this year on Hatchet Books. And it's available on Amazon and other places that sell books, but definitely Amazon. So that's all I got for you today, Mr. Ross. Wow. And what a history, a lot of stuff, man. A lot of, a lot of history, a lot of, um, a lot of things going with this band. And now they are um, playing Western in November. Yeah, they're back. They're back. And uh, yeah. I, I kind of I hope that um, they maybe put something out. I'll be the first to buy it. I love this group. There might be, there might, you never know. You, there might, because they put, if you go to the website, they got a lot of stuff going on there. So it's so great. If you want to know about the group, go to the website. It's a fantastic website, easy to use, and it gives you all the detail of what the band's doing.
Yeah, I think it's just lunachicks.com. Am I right? That's, that, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just I'm gonna, I got the book in front of me here. Um, you know when people write a little blurb on the back like they read it? Yeah. De- Debbie Harry of Blondie. Okay, she said, after I read Fallopian Rhapsody, I lost weight, my hair got thicker, my nails grew strong enough to climb trees, and my sex life soared to unbelievable heights. (laughs) (laughs) So, hey, Debbie Harry says, there's good enough. All right, Mike, so how can people reach out to you if they want to get in contact with you? Okay, you can find me on Instagram, uh, Rocker Mike two one two, Rocker Mike two one two, on uh, Clout Hub and MeWe under Rocker Mike. You can Facebook under Rocko Mike, Rocko Mike. Facebook won't let me be Rocker Mike, so I'm Rocko Mike. Um, and also, of course, you got the Rock Show Podcast group page on Facebook with me and you. And every day we put a lot of music up, information. Um, and uh, how about the you? People on the page, the people on the page are fantastic. They're always putting something new, or some reviews. Pretty. Good. Yeah, we've been getting we've been getting a lot of a lot of yeah. a lot more members, and I'm I'm glad because you know it's a lot of work every day to post stuff and find interesting things. So where can we find you, Rob? You can find me on anything getting lumped up. You don't get lumped up, but you will see my big head uh, with <laughs> beer. And I'm pretty all over the place, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and um, that's pretty much it. And on YouTube, you can find me on uh, getting lumped up. Um, so I got a little update on the YouTube channel. The next show I'm putting up from the rock show, because we don't do too many rock shows on YouTube. We put one or two up, but I got... Um, the Jonathan Richmond, and somebody was asking me. Oh, okay, cool. That's today's so, show, right? Was, yeah. Um, yes, I got to put some stuff together for YouTube and put that one up. Excellent, excellent. You do a great job, Rob. Good. Yeah. So, so we're gonna do that. Um, we're gonna do that this week. Um, and then I got the interview we had with uh, Patrick on Adam Stone, which was a great interview that should be up on YouTube any day now. I put it up. I'm waiting for it to upload. Okay. Fantastic. All right, guys. And like we always say on this show, remember, don't get drunk. Get lumped up. See you next week, people. Take care, people. The only podcast you will hear. Get lumped up on the rock show.